Hey, this is Sri. And this is Will. Welcome to The Technium, where we talk about the edge of technology and what we can build with it. An optimistic look at the road ahead. How's it going, Will? It's going all right. How about you, Sri? Pretty good. Pretty good. You look like you're in a fancy office slash hotel room. Yeah, I was going to say fancy bathroom because it's a little strange that there's like a glass door <laughs> behind me, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. You got any interesting drinks from Whole Foods this week? Well, no. So I went to an Asian grocery store and I have organic aloe with 50% more aloe. Oh, nice. It's, it's really just a lot of sugar with some pulp, honestly. Like the stuff I put in my body for the show. And then I also went to a place called Pho Papa for some mung bean smoothies. And so it's in, in San Jose, if anybody cares to, to uh, visit the area. Very cool. Representing the the Asian food this time. South, south, south. S, S, S. <laughs> it's reverse. Yeah. Oh, okay. There we go. <laughs> uh, very cool. Very cool. So I've got a hot toddy, which I have mixed this uh, hot toddy syrup. What is a hot toddy? A hot toddy is basically a lemony. It's a hot uh, drink with lemon, honey, sugar, ginger, cinnamon, and cloves. So this is this syrup from uh, a small place, a small farm in New Hampshire. Wait, is um, toddy a type of drink or is it the brand name? I don't know what a toddy is actually. Yeah, because no normal toddies. Uh, I, honestly, I was uh, watching Downton Abbey this past week, and I think I somebody mentioned toddy as well. I was like, I don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, I don't know. It's my first time. We'll, we'll look it up. Maybe it'll be in show notes, but maybe not. I don't know. Anyways. Yeah, there you go. So I've got that uh, yeah. and mixed with a little bit of uh, this Boston rum. So I guess I'm mm. representing uh, the Northeast, I guess. I'm a Boston. boy now. Yeah, Boston. that's right. Boston. Yeah. So what, what are we talking about this week? So this week we're talking about our first AI topic on this podcast. Yeah, clap, 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 jazz hands, yes. Yes, so we've done a lot of hype with crypto and hype right. with, uh, with web dev, and so now it's time to move on to the AI hype train. Right. Specifically, we are talking about two machine learning models that came uh, out of OpenAI earlier this year in 2021. Um, and OpenAI is, called- is uh, real quick, is just a research group that was funded by Y Combinator, and they do a lot of uh, a lot of interesting work in in AI, and Sri is a better judge of me than whether it's innovative work or not. But yeah. we'll we'll talk about two of theirs today, which is called Clip and Dolly. And so you were saying, Sri? Yeah. So Clip and Dolly are are very interesting because they are multimodal uh, machine learning models. This is just a fancy way to say that they both take in two different types of inputs, specifically in the case of Clip and Dolly, Mm -hmm. text and images. Mm -hmm. And what they do is that Clip is an encoder framework that takes in images and maps them to a latent space, so to a vector space, Mm -hmm. uh, as well as text and maps them to a vector space. And the interesting thing is that these two, it's able to map images and text to the same vector space such that if you have an image of something and you have a text of its description, the out of the 
resulting vectors from the two encoders should be the same or very similar. So to get concrete, let's say that you have an image of a dog in the park, mm -hmm. the image encoder will map that to a vector. And if you have the text, a dog in a park, and you, you pass that into the text encoder, it will also map that to a vector. And these two vectors will be very, very similar to each other or the same. And so what this allows you to do is it allows you to compare text and images with respect to each other, which is something that you really weren't able to do before. There might have been prior work able to do it before, but Clip is able to do this at a massive scale because it learned these correlations from a massive data set collected from all across the web. So pull up, right? As, as they would say on the internet. So what what you're able to do now with Clip that you weren't able to do before is if you have the description, the, the text description of a concept, you can convert that into a vector in some abstract latent space of concepts. It's like a high dimensional space of concepts. And then you can remap that vector into an image, or Almost. at least you can, you can compare an image and the description of something and see if they're the same. Yes. Okay. That's what so, you can do. Right, right, right. So you always have to go from the text and the image to the latent space. You, you can't go back out the other way, right? Yes. So that's, that's the case in, uh, with clip. Mm -hmm. um, I see. Now, and we'll get to the other one, but so yeah. that, so to sum up clip, like concretely, what you're able to have is given the description and given a picture, you can tell if they're really the describing the same concept or not now, right? And it's mm -hmm. like you can mix and match media now with these, the, the clip, right? Yeah, totally. That, that's pretty interesting. And, and then so what about Dali? Yeah, so Dali is is more along the lines of what you were describing. Uh -huh. So Dali is another pair of models, which goes in the direction of taking a piece of text and then being able to generate an entire image from this. So mm. this is very, very interesting because rather than simply mapping these two things into uh, a shared latent space, you're actually able to generate novel images. And so generate novel images by writing text, right? It's, yes. it's kind of like a strange thing where I guess I've read it described as a steering, steering uh, the image generation with text. It's almost like mm -hmm. it's, it's the dream of programming, I suppose, where yeah. you basically just describe some scene and like this painter paints it for you in whatever way that it knows how, right? And then you can iteratively, iteratively update your description of what you want to have it draw and it'll just keep generating them. Is that correct? Yeah, and the interesting thing is that it, it's learned a correlation between the text and the output concept such that you're able to compose them in novel ways. So we can go into this uh, when we do a, a little demo or, or, or do a screen share, but mm -hmm. you're able to, to say, generate me an image of an object with a texture that it normally wouldn't have. So the famous example is that they said, generate a chair, an image of a chair 
that is like an avocado or an avocado chair. Uh, and uh, which we really- know as like humans living in the world that there's the market for an avocado shaped chair is probably next to zero so therefore the product probably does not exist and hence marketing like imagery of the thing shouldn't exist and yet when you look at it that's exactly what it looks like right yeah it, it looks exactly like how if you commissioned an avocado chair for your avocado startup like it would look like that and so, yeah, I think obviously that's nowhere in the training data. Mm-hmm. And so what's clear is that somehow in its massive uh, training phase, these models have learned what it means to be a chair and what it means to be avocado shaped or to be an avocado. And basically it's able to compose these in a novel way to generate something that is reasonable and sensible to us at the same time novel. That's that is really interesting because for a long time the natural language processing and the computer vision people have been hand tuning their like feature extraction phase and trying to map it to something and I feel bad for those PhD <laughs> researchers and students because like all that work is just wasted time because this works so much better like however it is mapping to the latent space like the latent space somehow represents concepts in which the concepts are arranged in a spatial way in a high dimensional hyperspace i guess where you can compose them together so that if you ask it for a fuzzy banana it knows what fuzzy and it knows what banana is and it's able to generate a fuzzy banana rather than just banana and a patch of fur or like in in the wrong place or, or something that doesn't look quite right right yeah exactly so i think the the main advantage uh, is obviously both of these models are trained on massive massive data sets so mm-hmm. i believe that Dolly at least was trained on 250 million uh, images from the open web. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Clippy either used the same data set or, or a, a, at least a similar um, concept. But so they're trained on massive, uh, massive data and they have architected these models so that they learn these high order concepts rather than simply overfitting to the the details of their their training data so right generalize in an interesting way rather than simply memorizing all the data that they've seen yeah overfitting is effectively a way of saying memorizing because like a lot of these neural networks are trained with data and one way to pass the test is you just memorize all the answers right match to the question and so ideally Uh, the training data is different than the test data so that you can test if the neural network has actually learned a generalized version of the concept you were trying to by showing it examples rather than just memorizing everything and so it's like previous neural networks seem to be able to somewhat generalize but maybe in ways that seem like it still was a little bit patchy i think like deep dream was one way that people were trying to figure out like how a neural network 
encoded different concepts. And so it was like a strange psychedelic mismatch, like mishmash of things. Like if you ask it to like, oh, what what is an arm? And then like try to like boost the neurons that would generate an arm picture. It's kind of this nightmarish picture of like (laughs) arms and elbows and half arms and stuff like that. And so people have used that to kind of figure out the concepts but it sounds like in clip like is it isn't quite that it's like somehow in the latent space like we can't really draw a picture of it but somehow it's related in a way where where you can compose these things whereas the previous latent spaces didn't quite have that property is that correct yeah i think so uh definitely the generative ability of of dolly is I'm not sure what the if there are official metrics for how to measure how how good the output of these types of 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 models are, but it at least subjectively seems to outstrip any of the prior work that I had seen. And similarly, Clip does a very very good job of of mapping text and images to a, a similar latent space. And the primary use case that they're able to evaluate this for is uh, for creating classifiers. So you can basically take clip and, and pass in a description of the, of like the thing that you're trying to classify. For example, you, you want to say, I want to create a classifier that finds images of airplanes. And then uh, you're basically able to, to just use natural language to instantiate such a classifier and then pass in a variety of pictures and it will be able to detect with a good amount of accuracy pictures of airplanes just from a natural language description that you passed it. You didn't have to train, you didn't have to go and collect a bunch of training data, things that were airplanes and not airplanes. All you do is you just take clip and you pass it a piece of text and now it's able to match that against images. And if the images output a vector that's close enough to the vector of your, your text description, it will say it's a match. And, and it, they were able to run various benchmarks for which it was able to classify things with a high degree of accuracy without any further training. Oh, I see. So oh, I guess let's pull up an image from the blog post by OpenAI on Clip to show our YouTube viewers like what we're talking about. And so instead of the airplane example you gave, I think they're talking about bananas, right? And Mm so my understanding is typically if you train your neural network on one set of data, such as like ImageNet or something, like it's, it's generalized, but like it doesn't then subsequently do so well on other image data sets. So each one of these is a di- different data set, like ImageNet, Image, ImageNet V2. And you can see that they're focused on different things. Like for example, ImageNet rendition are kind of like abstractions of bananas, not actual pictures of bananas. And so my guess is typically like older neural networks had a difficult, more difficult time classifying these abstractions of bananas. Um, 
right? Yeah. And so you can see that like the old ImageNet ResNet 101 like scored 37.7% on this, but it sounds like Clip was able to generalize the concept of bananas, not just within the data set that you trained it on, but across like any other data set. And so that really lowers the cost of training new neural networks for a different purpose, but with the same concept. Is that right? Yeah, so it, it shows that it's able to adapt. So, so Clip is able to adapt to a variety of inputs and basically it's, it's understanding, so to speak, of banana. The way that it represents the concept of banana is sufficiently generalizable that it generalizes across a realistic photo of bananas, a sketch of bananas, banana plushies, as well as various other ways in which you might see a banana in the real world. Right. And so the, the advantage here is that if you, for example, wanted to sift through millions and millions of images that, have, that may have pictures of bananas, we don't have to worry too much about whether the image is cropped correctly, lit correctly, does it look like the kind of training data that was available right. in, in ImageNet or whatever standard uh, training set that uh, you might train an image classifier on. You're able to take clip and, uh, and just give it a vague description of what you're looking for. And uh, ideally it should be able to detect it regardless of whether the distribution of your photos is uh, very uh, similar or different from yeah. the distribution of, of ImageNet. Yeah, that's pretty interesting, especially the very last data set, which is the ImageNet adversarial, which is a data set that tries to throw off your neural network from its training data. So like, for example, this first image is an image of a banana, like with foreshortening, and removal of all color, right? But it still managed to recognize that as a banana. And then like banana held long way so you don't see a curve or like it's cut up like this. And so, yeah, you can see the the uh, original image ResNet did terrible on this, 2.7. And it's impressive that clip scored 77, which I think is second, uh, second highest score across all the different data sets, right? Even though it's adversarial. That's, yeah. that's pretty impressive. So at, at the end of the day, I mean, like this just makes it easier and easier to train neural networks because now you only the first person training clip has to bear the cost of the massive training data, everything else you can, it's almost like you can parameterize the resulting model, like neural network model to focus on what you want to look for, right? Is that right? Yeah, basically. And so if you actually go lower down on this page, you can see the, the comparison across a variety of tasks. And so basically in, in the world of, of, of image processing, you might have in the past had to train a detector that is focused on object detection and then another one for, for healthcare use cases, another one for some type of satellite imagery, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Now, what this graphic shows is that for all, all these variety of tasks, they were able to apply a clip to each of those, each of those tasks. Mm -hmm. And it 
it seems to fare fairly well in that even though Clip is not a, for example, a food identifier, right? food identifier. Yeah. Uh, it's able like, to. Like in Silicon Valley, where what's his face? Jimmy O. Yang was making the hot dog identifier. And then I guess he <laughs> must have used Clip because they were able to use it to identify porn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, like now you can just take clip and, and, and solve, you know, an arbitrary task. And, and it does pretty well for a model that, that was never trained specifically for that purpose. Now you can see here that it does well for food identification. It does well for, I don't know, identifying this television studio. It doesn't do uh, perfectly for things that it hasn't seen. For example, it isn't uh, able to rank correctly that this uh, picture of annual cropland mm-hmm. is annual cropland. It, yeah. it, so it ranks it lower, but it ranks it, uh, I don't know, relatively high compared to the other things. And so at least it's interesting that for a model that was not purpose-built, it's able to do fairly well. Mm-hmm. You might want to use this as a first, pla- first pass classifier and then maybe take uh, take its results and, and pass them for human review. And so, for example, if you were trying to flag, uh, let's say some type of, you know, again, porn content or some other kind of content, you might maybe uh, put clip in front of your huge stream of data and have it cull down the, the images to a reasonable size and then give it to a human moderator queue and make their job easier. Or maybe you pass it to another different machine learning model that's more expensive to run or, or, or whatever it is. But it's, it's kind of impressive that it's able to do well on these tasks, even though it was never trained for this purpose. That's pretty cool. Do you know how they came up? People at OpenAI, was it the brainchild of one specific person that had an insight or was it, I guess, a team effort? I'm guessing it's a team effort. You know, I think the paper has... Many, a whole bunch of authors. authors okay yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> i didn't know whether it was a specific insight but but yeah like I, I was thinking oh if i came up with this i was just like ah it probably never work but then i guess you just have to try it right yeah and i think it's it's the 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 secret sauce of open ai just seems to be very very huge massive data sets combined with clever engineering to make sure that they're able to train on these massive data sets and so they they do very good engineering work about distributed training making sure that they're actually able to handle this this huge data mm-hmm. uh, whereas maybe other labs with fewer resources especially fewer engineering resources might settle for paring down the data set just to be able to get a model trained yeah i see I guess they should have just called themselves go big or go home. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, then, so, so then this is, this is clip, like what clip can do. So in summary, it generalizes well across different data sets. And like we showed examples of images, but like you could do the same with the text because like you said earlier, it's multimodal. So like you could have a text model that was originally trained on something else, but then it would be very good at picking out 
information from other types of data sets with the, the same topic, like the same concept from other di different data sets with different like statistical distributions, right? Yeah, I, I think so. So I think they haven't done, uh, they haven't shown examples, but I'm sure that that could be the case. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I think there are some interesting projects that are, that are making use of clip. So actually maybe we can go into that before right. we go to, uh, to Dolly. Dolly. Okay. Okay. So this is a, a same dot energy and yeah. uh, free. What, what can you tell us? Like, what is this? Yeah. So basically this is a semantic search engine that is uh, powered by a machine learning model, which is similar to Clip. I don't think they're using Clip exactly, but they're using mm -hmm. uh, a, a very similar uh, machine learning model. Mm -hmm. And what it allows you to do is that if you click any one of these images, it will pull up something that is stylistically Some... very similar to the image that you that you started and you seeded the, the query with. So I don't know, pick something that, that looks fun. It actually works really well. So you don't have to, to worry too hard about uh, which thing you pick. Oh, I see. Well, this immediately caught my eye, this giant balloon <laughs> thing. <laughs> okay, let's click it. All right. right. All right. So it, it kind of uh, found other images in which there is some kind of uh, hallway with a big yellow orb. Uh, uh, type theme. Right. You, um, can, you can see that there's a thematic aspect to it where it picked the ones with the hallways with the fluorescent thing, right? And so I, I guess if I pick something else that, I don't know, like... Pick uh, the uh, sketch uh, guy, I guess. Yeah, like we should see other sketches that, that are similar thematically. And so does this allow you to wander the space or does it let you narrow things down? Like So I think same.energy is is very good about giving you like ex not exactly what you you search for mm -hmm. uh, there are some variants here but it, it is fairly narrow and so i have had a hard time kind of getting out of the the oh the, i see yeah the thing that, that it's, it's taken me although maybe if you click like this Japanese looking one. Now, now you've got right. like, yeah, Japanese right. area of the vector space. Because I guess I didn't know whether it saved the idea that both it was a sketch and it's like Asian, but it, it looks like it is because like I don't see any like Western looking sketches here mm -hmm. as a result. So like once you click a couple ones in, you, you narrow it down pretty fast, which I think is useful for a specific type of task, right? Because this is the kind of like, human AI symbiosis that people have always talked about where the human is the seed, like the, the seed or the person that's directing the creativity of the AI and, and the, the feedback from both helps, helps the, the human AI pair come up with something creative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and, and, and this is powered by clip in, or a clip like model in the uh -huh. sense that these are images from the web that might have a caption attached. Like, let's say, you know, I made a sketch of a samurai or something like that. Yeah. And so it, it, it when during the training, it's learned the concept of, you know, sketch and samurai and uh, learned to put uh, images of that, of that type close to each other in the vector space. And now if you give a query image, it's able to pull out all of those other images 
And because they were trained uh, in this clip-like way, they are semantically similar. They, they have some characteristics between them in which you can, even if you're not able to quite put your finger on it, you can say, oh yeah, could these images go together? Because probably they, they map to an area of a vector space that represents some concept here. It looks like it's like aerial shots of European villages. Yes, European villages. Are these real images or are these generated images? These are real images. So yeah, these are, these are from the web. Yeah. Actually, uh, maybe we can talk about this part in the, like the second and third order effects. I was thinking that this is also interesting because if you could train, if you could train public speakers text, then like given what somebody is saying in real time, you can hone in on like what other people or what other phrases people have similarly said and be able mm. to pick those out as well. That, that, that would be interesting because like, as somebody is speaking, you could do something like that. Or I guess like uh, baseball stats. I always wonder how they pull up those weird baseball stats. <laughs> wow. I mean, I'm sure there's like a non AI way to do it, but this is the kind of thing where it reminds me that, Oh, if you, in real time, you can find something similar, right? The same energy yeah. per se to, to whatever it is that, that you're, you're currently hearing or seeing. That's pretty interesting. And it only yeah. takes like two or three clicks to <clears throat> kind of narrow things down. Yeah, it, it, it does a, a pretty good job of, of basically finding some similarity, some characteristic, even if it's something that you're not able to really express. And so... This is this is a cool project, uh, again powered by this clip-like idea mm -hmm. of mapping things to uh, a vector space. So yeah, the, you can think of clip as being able to create classifiers, being able to create semantic search engines, basically being able to take a query, map it to an input vector, and then pull out uh, similar things around it. Oh, I got out of that local area. I was looking at waves and now I'm looking at the moon. You're looking at the moon over water. Yeah, moon over water. Can I get out of moon over water? Oh, I guess this one is markedly different. That one is just a water. Oh, now well, you have like sailboats. Sailboats, but it's still water. Can I get out of water? This is like, it's, it's like that Wikipedia game where you're traversing, but here I'm just trying to get out of get out of the, the local space. But yeah, okay, that's pretty cool. This is this is what a clip-like model would be, would allow you to do. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so this is a clip. Shall we move on to like what Dolly can do? Yeah, so Dolly is really, really interesting. And so actually the, the one thing that I will add is that Clip has been open sourced. So OpenAI mm -hmm. Open has released the model. They have released the weights. So you're able to take Clip as it is uh, used by OpenAI and download it yourself and build all kinds of cool cool stuff with it. Uh, that is good. That's really great to hear. I guess you, the source code is on GitHub or something and you just run it as a notebook? Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, you know, people have been experimenting with it. We can go into some of the even more interesting experiments uh, that people have been doing with it. But Clip is, a, is, is open. Now, mm -hmm. DALI is very, very interesting because it's this uh, 
generative model. Basically, what it's able to do is take the text of a, a, a prompt, a text prompt, and uh, then generate an entirely novel image with it. And uh, this is even more pow powerful than Clip. And uh, this model is not open source yet. Mm -hmm. Maybe it will be in the future, but at least for now, it's not. But we, yeah, we, let's take a look at some of these examples. So, right. you know, like we're mentioning, or like we mentioned, we can see this armchair in the shape of an avocado and actually <laughs> does a really good job. Like uh, each of these designs is, is its own twist on what it means to be an armchair in the shape of an avocado. Uh, yeah. uh, different styles, different types of chairs. Yeah. Uh, very, very interesting. And, yeah, uh, yeah I, I look at it and I, I don't know, when I first saw the image, I'm like, I kind of want one, <laughs> <laughs> although I know it'll clash. And so the implications, I think, uh, like a lot of people would jump immediately to a lot of different things, at, at least for the illustrations of the radish walking the dog or the daikon walking the dog above. Yeah. I can totally see it because anytime I'm making landing pages, one of the things that I always have trouble with is what image to pair with it like and honestly like i'm just testing out ideas i don't want to pay somebody on fiverr to like create these things for me and so having something like this would be uh really interesting because then it removes the need for an illustrator just to sketch out an idea at least in the near term yeah uh i think so and similarly in the case of this armchair in the shape of avocado. Now, you know, maybe not, not too many people are, are in the market for this, but if you're a design company, let's say, that is exploring the space and uh, you just want to riff on some ideas, right. maybe just to get inspiration, maybe to get, uh, you know, an idea of the different shapes uh, that you could use not to make literally an avocado chair, but just to, to pull some inspiration from there. Yeah. Uh, you can kind of work with this AI model. Like if you had Dolly and you gave it some prompts and you saw like maybe some of the creative ideas that it's coming up with, and then and you can take those and you can refine them. You can make them, you know, more, more palatable or, or, or clean them up a little bit. But yeah, it's, it's almost like working in tandem with this machine learning model in order to harness its creativity. Yeah, I mean, it's the, I guess you don't need to take LSD anymore or like smoke some weed to, to get some inspiration. Like you can use the, the Dolly model to help you with the exploration of space. Yeah, that, yeah. that's pretty interesting. Yeah, so I, I think Dolly is is also interesting because you know, like we said, with the the armchair in the shape of avocado, that's probably not in the training set. It, it, but also similarly with the, these illustrations, this this radish walking a dog, it's learned that maybe the radish that is walking a dog it should look like a anthropomorphic radish. You know, it's not like literally a picture of a daikon, you know, right. daikon you'd find yeah. in the store. It's yeah. added some eyes to it. it, it it's, it's learned some interesting concepts. Right. And, and that, that single word illustration is able to affect stylistically 
the whole image rather than specific parts of the image too, which I, mm-hmm. I think is pretty impressive. Yeah. So, so Dolly is, is, is very, very interesting. So one thing that the community has done in order to adapt to the fact that Dolly is not open source is that they have kind of hacked a version of Dolly, not in the sense that it's, it's literally the Dolly architecture, but they've taken clip and they've combined it with, uh, with these other machine learning models called GANs, mm-hmm. which are- uh, What do the, they stand for? for our generative, generative adversarial networks. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't need to go into the, we don't need to break it down, but, but basically these are neural networks that uh, take in an input vector and then are able to generate an image from them. Mm-hmm. There are neural networks that generate images and that's a generative part in the name. And then the adversarial networks is just how they, how they, they yeah, how they are trained. So, yeah. So, so these are the types of networks that power things like this person does not exist Mm -hmm. and these kind of websites where they're able to generate actually very high quality versions of you know, faces or illustrations and things like that. And so <laughs> that's a funny looking face. <laughs> so actually what's, what's interesting is that people have been experimenting with taking uh, certain GAN architectures and then using clip to steer them in the similar way that Dolly works. So that you take a GAN, it outputs oh. a, an image and then you you take clip and you say is this you 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 give a clip a description and then you say is this image similar to what clip is expecting and if it's not then uh, feed that back to the gan and have it uh, move around in latent space in the direction that uh, makes it closer and you do this iteratively and iteratively and eventually the GAN will move around in latent space and generate an image which matches uh, the, the description of what, you, what you're looking for. So the GAN normally takes like a latent vector as an input after it's been trained and it generates an image, right? And so yep. once it's already trained, is the clip encoder already trained as well? And so you yep. use that to steer? Okay, so like because clip is trained on a completely different data set we already established that it doesn't have to be trained on the same data set as the gener the, the GAN the generative adversarial network so like you just take it as is and plug the two things together right the output the input of clip is a description its output is the latent vector and then the input of the GAN is a latent vector and its output is an image. So when you hook those two things together, you're able to effectively attach a steering wheel to a car in which the car generates images, I guess. And, yeah. <laughs> and like, because our computers have keyboards that enable us to type words, like clip is effectively like, it's chaining your your thoughts to the keyboard to the text description to the 
latent space to the image. And so that's the chain of translations that allow you to type words and generate images. So you're painting with your keyboard uh, effectively. Yeah, pretty much. So actually, I, we, can, we can look at some of the outputs of, outputs of that. Okay, so here's an example of uh, a prompt over here at the bottom. So cyberpunk forest. Cyberpunk forest, yeah. And, and this is the image that the GAN output which, you know, it looks, it definitely has a forest quality to it in that, uh, you know, this the middle part mm -hmm. uh, looks kind of bushy, like a mm -hmm. tree. And right. it definitely has the qualities of cyberpunk, whether it's the color palette or... Yeah, the, it's, it's, very, it's very neon and dark and gritty. Yeah, yeah that, that's pretty cool. Although, like, zoomed in, you can tell, like, a lot of the micro details don't quite make sense, but these definitely look pretty good when you zoom out right yeah so the, it definitely looks good zoomed out and and again you can you can uh, you can add modifiers so this is cyberpunk forest by salvador dali who's a you know artist that does surreal surrealism um, mm -hmm. style and right you you've seen the uh painting of the melting clock box. or the melting stopwatch and so that's salvador dali where like he's playing with I guess, perceptions of reality. And so here is in style. Do you see any meltiness? I'm not familiar with his... Uh, it's definitely like curvier, I mm, guess. Like than the other one. Than the other one. Um, yeah, the, the color palette is diff definitely different, right? So Yeah, definitely. And, uh, and the, the interesting thing, because Clip was trained on, on images from the web, mm -hmm. it's it, it learned a certain quirks of the web. For example, there is a website called ArtStation HQ, uh -huh. which, or maybe it's a subreddit, but basically it's a, it's a token, which it has learned means make images or, or rather should match images that are of a certain high quality uh, illustration style. And so uh -huh. when, you, when you attach it to the GAN, if you add the token ArtStation HQ, what it means is make, make an image which is even more maybe high quality looking and less grainy than, mm -hmm. than the other one. So like over mm -hmm. here, the original one, Cyberpunk Forest, was a little bit grainy, like you mentioned, a little bit incoherent. Uh, but if you attach it ArtStation HQ, there's a little bit of a different feeling to it in that it, it looks a little bit like the richer color palette. Um, it's, it's more painterly here. Like I can see where like it looks in the middle part where it looks like there's a shadow of a guy with a backpack standing on a brick wall it, it does seem a little bit more what's the word oil painting like at least mm -hmm. that color palette over there yeah exactly and you, you can do other things as well lastly like i'll say you can add other modifiers so here you can oh. attach this thing saying green and white minus one so you want a picture that uh, doesn't have as much green and white on it. And here we have, again, it, it, the result is definitely less green and less white and, and more using other colors. So it seems like the, the machine learning model has learned the, you know, this idea that you can, you can add these modifiers and uh, it seems to do pretty well. That's pretty neat. Huh. So then 
what what else can you show us about uh, Dali? Is is this is this all you had for like pictures? Yeah, the, that's all. That's all I had in terms of uh, pictures. But uh, so so, I, I guess the I'll underscore the fact that Dali is not readily available, but mm-hmm. people have taken clip and sort of attached it to other uh, off-the-shelf machine learning models and are doing all kinds of interesting generative art. And so it seems like the, the fact that, uh, <clears throat> that clip exists and is so readily composable with the, the, the rest of machine learning models means that there are probably combinations of, of, and applications of clip that we, we haven't seen yet, whether it's for generative art or maybe you know, combining with even other different types of machine learning models and so, yeah, I think like there's there's a lot of creativity to be explored uh, still. That's pretty pretty interesting. And then so, the so then I I guess where do we go from here? Like, what are uh, I think it, we outlined at a high level like how Clip is able to achieve this thing. Basically, the the key core point is that if you can map the encoders to the same latent space, and that latent space is pretty good at representing concepts, then you're going to have this power that has been exhibited. And you can imagine any type of medium that we have that we can digitize, we can write an encoder for it, like whether it's text, visual, audio, even video, I imagine, is a sequence of images and that should be, sh- it should be doable, right? Uh, I guess even other things like maybe interpretive dance, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if, if, if interpretive dance is ever consistent, I guess. <laughs> but but that that's the idea. It's pretty interesting. So So what are the sort of things that, people are doing today with it because I, I can see when we went over it like what's new about it or like what's new and so mm-hmm. one example of what people are doing is with the same energy the visual search but that seems to be more of a demo than like a production level thing like do you, do you know what people are using it for today same energy or uh, no no just just clip clip and dolly obviously dolly is not open source but say clip yeah so so the the biggest use cases that i've seen are in this gan plus clip space Mm -hmm. and uh, actually there was a really interesting project uh, which combines this gan plus clip with with crypto and so what, what they've done is that they they have created a DAO. Which... <laughs> you just have to wait for it. Let's let's how how, how many minutes is it like that before we got there? <laughs> yeah, well, not not as early as in this episode as we right, right. But yes, so there's a DAO in which people vote on which direction to steer this clip plus GAN combo. Oh, that's interesting. It's kind of like Twitch plays Pokemon, but with DAOs, right? Yes, exactly. And so they, they steer this thing 
and it generates uh, generates images. And then I think their idea is that they're going to, once they're satisfied, mint that image as an NFT, mm-hmm. which people will buy. So we haven't actually covered NFTs on this uh, on this podcast yet. But uh, we're waiting for the hype to die down before we really get into the meat <laughs> and potatoes of it, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Um, we're, we're either ahead of the curve or behind it, but never on it. <laughs> no, <laughs> because if we were, it would mean that we would actually go make something and, uh, to, and too mainstream yeah too too mainstream too successful and that would not be hipster enough so <laughs> yes uh, we'd be drinking water and corona if that on the show if that were the case <laughs> yeah so so basically this i think it's a good way that you you phrased it it's kind of like twitch plays pokemon it's basically dow dow plays the, the art Mm-hmm. And so the, eventually they want to create what they're calling an AI painter, which is steered by this committee and, and then sell, uh, sell the art that it generates for money, which then flow back into this DAO, potentially making the DAO members richer or, or maybe feeding back into training more advanced GANs to generate even better art. You know what? What's the name of the DAO that's doing this? Ah, uh, I'll have to. I'll have to remember it. Look, okay, look it that's fine. Yeah. No, because I was thinking like maybe instead of NFTs and art, it's a little roundabout way. Like, why not have a DAO that uses Clip to generate landing pages to sell products? <laughs> Because you could technically do that. Like, cause uh, I mean, drop shippers are always like looking uh, on the drop shipper subreddit. They're always looking for products that would sell well and yeah. always asking around and they would then, you know, buy the stuff either from Alibaba or somewhere else and just list it on Amazon and, and pocket the, the difference. And the, DAO could conceivably either generate landing pages that find like, so maybe for a specific category, like, I don't know, uh, cufflinks or something like it, it finds the optimal landing page that would generate the most sales for different kinds of cufflinks. Like you should be able to at least generate like different versions of it, right? Because then you could write a description, like the, the DAO could decide like, what should we sell? Yeah. And, and, and then once they do that, then they write the description and <laughs> the clip would then generate a web page. Well, it would, I guess, go into the latent space and then there would have to be something that takes a latent space yeah to to a landing page and then that would deploy that and then i guess the sales number would then feedback i guess into Mm -hmm. like back propagate to see how well i I do wonder if that's enough of a signal because usually for e-commerce like a good e-commerce sites converts like four percent of the time and and like and that's considered good. And so I wonder if that's not enough feedback for for uh, a neural network to tell whether it's doing a good job or not. You'd have to have yeah. pretty high volume driven to a page 
for that to work i think but it, it is yeah. conceivably possible i guess yeah i mean i think i think that'd, that'd be pretty cool or yeah it, it deploys two versions and then maybe test them and and learns uh, something about uh, again feeding back into into the model uh, it learns how to make better web pages uh, yeah that that would be really interesting i am another one that I, I was thinking about is that you could do the same thing for for audio. So again, mm. if we take take this uh, idea of clip, you know, we're, let's not constrain ourselves exactly to the modes of text and images. Mm. I think if you if you broaden the perspective like you have been doing, and say let's not think of clip just in its current current iteration of mapping a distribution of uh, images and text together, but rather any two. Uh, modes uh, of input, then you could apply it with other things like, let's say, taking a description of a music that you want to generate, mm -hmm. and then attaching it to a music generator model, and and then steering it that way. So let's say that you have an idea for a song, and uh, you want to generate a, a, a music that has a certain type of beat, and certain type of instrumental, you might be able to, in the future, write a natural language description of of that and then attach it to the music generator and then get back at least a sketch of a song and yeah. then and build on top of that yeah that's really interesting because i know one of the things that movie composers complain about uh movie directors is that before a movie is finished a movie director will want a placeholder in the score of the movie and usually they use songs or scores from other movies right as a placeholder but then because they're like watching it so many times in editing that they get used to the idea of okay this is what the scene should sound like and then they're just they just go to the movie composer and say you know just give me the placeholder but like we can't obviously use that one just give me something similar and they're just yeah. super frustrated about that because like why why am i even in this job when you just want the same thing and so like a lot of the movies have really forgettable scores because of this this kind of dynamic that's going on so you could conceivably have movie directors that need a placeholder like it may not be the final thing and obviously like maybe in the small it doesn't sound quite right but like you just put something in there just to kind of get a feel for it and write a like a description and then have like the human come in and clean it up saying okay like these couple of beats don't quite make sense like this is a little staccato here like we want a different feel for it uh, or whatever it is right and so that that would be an interesting way to um at least have more interesting music scores for movies like the, a lot of them are just so forgettable because of this very reason yep yeah actually a, a couple of uh, thoughts there so i think similarly even for images i think a common complaint that i hear from graphic designers is that their clients will give them very vague instructions like yeah make it yeah, pop like a little that. bit yeah make <laughs> it pop a little right like that's the thing that everybody like complains about it's like hey i just want a little pop right <laughs> and so nobody knows what that means yeah. but actually there's an interesting other demo that i want to show which uh, is related to this uh -huh. and so let me just pull this up but there's another project called style clip which 
allows you to do something very similar. So basically you can give it an input image mm-hmm. and then you can give it little nudges in the direction that you want it to go while still maintaining its input. So yeah. you can say, well, here I have a picture of Mark Zuckerberg and I want that... Mark Zuckerberg mm-hmm. to the... have a tan face. Oh, yeah, and I see. It, and it'll actually generate that. Mm-hmm. And you can even make it do all kinds of stuff. So you can say, I want Mike, my, Mark Zuckerberg, but with a, a completely different haircut. Right. And, uh, and then this is actually my, my favorite, Mark Zuckerberg with a troll face. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> you can use Clip to kind of steer an existing image more in the direction that you want it to go. And so kind of going back to this point of uh, you have designers let's say produce something, but then the, the client comes back and says, make it pop a little. Well, you know, maybe actually clip can learn what it means to what, what people mean when they say, make it pop. And you can yeah. give it an image and you say, make it pop. And it'll do something, some magic, which will be a little bit of a popified version of the input image. I can see that as a one feature website where you upload an image and it'll pop it for you. <laughs> Just yeah. as kind of a joke website. Yeah, uh, yeah that, that's pretty interesting. One, one of the, actually one of the things that I forgot to mention in terms of applications of this technology today is also in crypto. Like our guy, Suhail, running Mighty, like mm-hmm. he decided to have a side project in which he wanted to release NFTs of song titles. Like that's all it is. It's AI. Huh. Gen- so he used a generative model to generate like song titles and he wrote them in the smart contract explicitly. Like he handpicked the most interesting ones. And then those are minted as an NFT. Yeah. And then because the NFT is shown as an image and it looks like it it looks like so you can see that that's the two he calls it the tunes project and it looks like a little mp3 player with different it looks like a player and the yeah. titles and so effectively like it's just generated song titles and what's interesting about this is he managed to amass a community that has some energy behind it because then people were motivated to create actual audio based on the title huh. and then create new um, NFTs that are tied to this NFT with the song title, with the actual yeah. um, music. But also the the part that's relevant here is that there's other projects in which they use the text of the AI generated song title to generate the cover art. Ah, what are they using for this? Are they using the clip plus GAN method? I mean, from the looks of it, it looks like it, but I I don't know for sure. Like I, I didn't know clip existed until, like I saw the page, but I didn't read too deep into it when it was on Hacker News. And so... I, yeah. I wasn't sure, but it, it looks like it's something like a clip steered uh, GAN of some sort. Yeah, it has that. There's a certain quality to it. I can't put yeah. my finger on it, but yeah, right. it definitely is like that. Yeah, so like you're so you're so cold, I'm so hot, and it, it looks like there's a, there's a face here and some coldness and some fire going on over here, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, like 
these these definitely look a little bit like when you zoom in some of the details like it's it's almost impressionistic in that sense when you look in too far like some of the details don't make sense but zoomed right. out you're like oh, oh yeah 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 i can i can see what's going on there so interesting so yeah this is uh pretty cool like this is <laughs> uh one way that crypto and ai is is intersecting right now and so i thought i mentioned it before we moved on to like the, the second third order effects of of whatever we were uh talking about like the the possibilities yeah yeah i mean i think these the commonality between clip and and these types of models and crypto is that basically they lower the barrier to entry in that i think crypto lowers the barrier to entry in building the energy and excitement uh, around these things and also monetizing them and then clip lowers the barrier to entry in the creation of ai tools and and they kind of almost becomes Legos at this point where you yeah. can take clip and plug it with some other thing and generate these very interesting mashups. Mm -hmm. And so then if you mash up clip plus these crypto communities and these crypto tools, then you basically are combining Legos upon Legos into these very, very interesting combinations uh, of, of AI and culture. And so, yeah, you're getting uh, kind of AI generated album art, I'm sure AI generated music and music NFTs are going to be a big thing, people say. And so, yeah, I think it's just kind of accelerating the pace at which these things can be generated and the pace at which these things can be monetized and become part of our culture. Yeah, it's, it's strange in the sense that these generative, the generative models in like Clip, they are only able to map to that latent space because of all the stuff that's on the internet currently and it's almost like a statistical um, snapshot i guess high dimensional statistical shop snapshot of our internet culture at this point in time yeah and so when we write a description to steer it it's almost as if we're just looking through a straw to like mm -hmm. peek at different parts of that culture at any one time yeah and I could see that you could perhaps every decade or maybe every two decades take train another clip GAN combination, and that would be the zeitgeist for that decade, so to yeah. speak. And so yeah. you could kind of take a, I mean, as they stand today, I think it would be more a tour of like a dreamlike zeitgeist of our culture, but mm -hmm. maybe if these things can generate more coherent pictures rather than like a dreamlike because like definitely like yeah. we said these the cover art for example for tunes project has kind of this abstract dreamlike quality like maybe you we can train other things that feel more like an actual place and mm -hmm. i guess you could actually have something generate like 3d worlds too right it's yeah. possible to do that or for a description to generate a short clip or perhaps a movie. I'm not sure how far you could take it. Yeah. I'm not sure that our current machine learning models are able to maintain enough context over a sufficiently long time that they'd yeah. be able to generate an entire movie mm -hmm. or even an entire song. Yeah. 
but definitely the building blocks of building a beat or building an instrumental track or similarly for a movie, maybe generating a little bit of a dialogue or an opening sequence or, or a few, actually it could be interesting to generate from an idea, a kind of a storyboard. Because mm-hmm. this is a this is an intermediate step that people do when they're building a movie yeah. is they take a, a high level concept and then have these drawings of individual shots that they want to, to to compose into a scene. And so maybe you could take clip and you say, "I want an action sequence," uh, or or I want the teenager a teams fight. up with teenager teams up with sixty year old to travel back in time to potentially almost sleep with his mother. Right? So <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and and maybe if you if you had started with the right training data of this kind of thing, you you might actually be able to have an AI generated storyboard of that from which you can pick and choose the ideas uh, as you please. Yeah, yeah, and so that should lower the cost of production. I'll, I'll be it. I don't know that the cost will be passed on to consumers. Like movies will just be as expensive. But like, I think if anything, that could help the ideation and lower the risk of more indie movies, right? Because I think studios now know that a lot of like indie movies have the potential to be base hits. Because like a lot of times, like movie studios, they pour so much money into movies and that's why they're conservative with it and so that's why you get a lot of like marvel comic like type of stories because they they know there's an audience for that already it's relatively low risk and high roi but there's a lot of possibility for stories out there that aren't being told and we only have so much attention and sometimes like there are things that take people by surprise like seinfeld was at its time like a weird kind of sitcom because it was about not a family people that are completely selfish there's no lesson at the end nobody learns anything and they talk about like life's most inane things right like it's it's i'm surprised it got greenlit at all but like when that happened like it kind of changed the con the, the landscape of sitcoms and reality tv with survivor did the same with the landscape of tv but it took like people to do that shift and so if you could have generative models that people can play test not just you know like be able to run through different ideas pretty quickly but also play test them with focus groups too you might get like quicker shifts in the type of stories and story formats and programming that are available to us and that would subsequently change culture and i guess as with the previous episode i forgot which one we were talking about we're, with tiktok like culture is just moving too fast i guess the doubt yeah I think right? that was the doubt one yeah right yeah and I, I can see this also accelerating that where i guess at the end of the day like i will not know any reference of what anybody else is talking about and i think yeah. that's like that today like a lot of times i just i'm like I, Somebody asked like whether I wanted to do a collab on Instagram. I had to look that up because I was like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah, then you're hopelessly unprepared for this world of <laughs> right, apparently, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, you know, I think the you're right that lowering the barrier to generating media, whether that's generating images, uh, video, music 
and and maybe combining all of them together into a show or a movie or something like that lowering the skill required in order to put something out in the world is going to mean that there are lots of people with very good ideas that they might not otherwise have the connections or the skills or the uh, network to be able to produce something like that. Yeah. Now we're probably going to see a ton more of those ideas coming from all over the place. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be using these AI tools uh, to, to put something out in the world. And so, yeah, I think that the traditional things that are used to gatekeep the creation of things is going to slowly erode and there's going to be a a ton of interesting ideas that otherwise would not be ever considered saleable the other thing that i actually want to to explore a little bit oh before you move on to that i guess one one quick uh, addendum is that like if when the gatekeeping uh, goes away in one place it ends up shifting to another place uh, like we're, we're we're not saying at least yes. i'm not saying that that it'll be a free-for-all like one when you have a free-for-all you you do get a lot of really bad people doing like people that are not should have no business making media i guess mm-hmm. doing that but it's okay because like effective the storage of the internet is effectively infinite so by all means more power to you right but yep. it, it is that like once you get that sort of deluge or like proliferation of media, it's I think it'll follow the same pattern as internet where then aggregators um, are become more important because then people's problems as consumers of this media is how do I find the good stuff, right? And so there has mm-hmm. to be a way to surface that sort of stuff. Yeah, I, I, these are these are kind of cycles of, of you know, removing the barriers and then reconsolidating and yeah. thing. Yeah. bundling, unbundling, so on and so forth. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. So I, I totally agree with you there. The, the direction that I want to explore a little bit yeah. is the idea that all of these things that we're talking about, Clip and Dali, can be steered using natural language. Yeah. And so what it also means is that very it requires very very little technical sophistication in order to interact with these systems Mm -hmm. and i can imagine that the goal of 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 computing or at least a certain set of computing people has been this idea of end user programming that somehow the the programming languages uh, and programming tools that we we build are going to become sufficiently simple that the average computer user is going to be able to modify the the uh, computing environment that they interact with. Mm. And now, computing aside, I think that this like these models are are also going to open up the idea of end user media creation in the mm-hmm. sense that. Maybe it's possible in the future, you can take a song, just a song that's released by an artist, and then uh, as a user, as a consumer of this media, you can say, I, I want a little more drums, right? <laughs> I want more, more drums. Co- more cowbell is more what you're co- going more to cowbell. Yeah, more cowbell. That's right. Yeah, that's... <laughs> yes. And so, you know, you can take a great, you, you can take a hit. And then what if you are able to use clip steering or, or whatever other steering method with a different uh, model to say more cowbell, more cowbells. And now you have a personalized version of the song 
And so you start with this base song, but you have this end user customizability aspect that wouldn't otherwise be possible because you're not going to go and put this into audio editor and then put a cowbell track on there or something. Man, I, I guess there's, so one thing that came to mind immediately as an aside is it would probably be a, what's the a wellspring? It's, it's going to be like a sub specialization of copyright law to kind of figure <laughs> all this out. Like, can an algorithm own the media and the images that it's generating? Or is it the person that's steering it? Yeah. Th- those sort of questions. My guess is it's probably going to be the latter where people think of the neural network as a camera and the creative aspect is the person pointing the camera or typing in the description. Yeah. Um, so, but then on the other hand, the pattern of the DAOs is the, the pattern given by DAOs runs against the grain with that because it is the DAO that owns the finances and the generative art. It's just that collectively people vote on it. And so if you can register DAOs as legal entities in Wyoming, technically they are, are they legal persons? Like, yeah, I think so. Yes. Yeah, they're legal persons. And so maybe in that way, AIs can be legal persons through attachment in DAOs registered at the state of Wyoming. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure I said it in the DAO episode, there's going to be lots of interesting court court cases that yeah, are litigated yeah. about this. Right. And so so that, that was the thing that immediately sprang to mind. So like some of the second and third order effects is maybe people need to like start going to law school today to kind of catch yes. this wave later on, right? Because I know <laughs> that when I graduated college, like lots of people ended up going into finance and consulting because at the time, like the dot, like it wasn't fashionable to be an engineer. And then as it became more and more fashionable to be engineers, all these people came out with law degrees that like, I I can't find a job. So you really just need to get ahead of the curve and, and see that stuff is coming, I guess. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yeah. So I think actually if, if, if anybody listening is is interested in law or is a lawyer looking for some type of career change, yeah, I think that being a crypto lawyer, whatever we're talking about, is probably going to be uh, lucrative in the down the line. Yeah, even um, taxes, like like the crypto tax thing, is still like not quite set in stone. I mean, like, like I I've I have a friend that does taxes and. Well, maybe let's cut this part out because I okay. didn't have like that sort of stuff, but yeah. I, I tell you about that stuff later. Anyway, so yeah. three, two, one. And so that that's pretty interesting. I, I can think of like other types of problems Clip and Dolly would help solve, like small problems, I guess. One of the mm-hmm. things is selling concepts to people that are decision makers but aren't creatives and mm-hmm. i find that a lot of times you need to show people stuff because they they just can't picture like whatever it is that you're telling them and like yeah. I, I think uh, my communication style tends to be more abstract and i've had to adjust that style for people that like concrete examples mm-hmm. 
And, and so one way that I think might be interesting is if you can use this technology to sell either movie or music or like art concepts to executives. And so you just kind of type like, okay, like we haven't done the work, but this is maybe what we're thinking. And so you type it in, you kind of click on things that are along the lines of what you're thinking, and then you show it as part of your PowerPoint to an executive or something saying kind of, this is what we're thinking. And you can generate like four or five of these within an hour or two without yeah. having to like spend a day madman style for a pitch, right? And like fly, right. fly over there and, and you got like one idea and if it doesn't work, then, you know, you're shit out of luck. Yeah, yeah. I think that goes back to this like idea of just being able to put more out in the world and, and uh, as a consequence of putting more things out in the world, you're able to explore the space of ideas and potentially have better ideas just by being able to start out with more ideas. Yeah, and, and the, the parallel with our very first episode with thinking tools is that the thinking tool guys premise for computing as a thinking tool is that our tools aren't responsive enough to help us think in the way that humans readily think. But in their scenarios, it's always that it's you with yourself and the computer is really just the medium and a facilitator. Whereas here it's markedly different. The computer is not just the room or the facilitator or the space in which you're doing your thinking with yourself. It's a co-collaborator, right? And that's yeah. a, that's a really different way to think about how you might use computers like Alan Kay and um, who's the logo guy? I forget. The, the guy that invented the logo programming language, his name escapes me, but it may be, oh, come, forget it, whatever his name is. Like, uh, yeah. like they always conceive of like computational thinking as, oh, you have this iteration with yourself, but through the computer and the computer needs to facilitate it with like really responsiveness. Whereas this mm -hmm. is like, the computer is like somebody, a co-collaborator that you iterate with and you push back against and they push back against you. And that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's something new. That's definitely yeah. something new. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's actually a better way to phrase it. I, I was specifically talking about programming and end user programming. Yeah. But yeah, generally the space of thinking tools, like the vision of computing is that the the computer becomes your medium, but then, like you're saying, the computer also is now able to take an active part in giving you ideas, surfacing ideas that you otherwise wouldn't come up with yourself because it's consumed this massive corpus of data. And so it's able to show you things you might not otherwise have been able to do. And then at the same time, you're able to steer uh, uh, back with it. it. And it does tie back to that very first episode because we were talking about thinking tools specifically for uh, note-taking and building mm -hmm. uh, knowledge graphs. Yeah. And we did come up with this idea that it's possible that in the future, you'll have these distributed collaborative knowledge graphs in which some of the actors are AIs, right? And, mm -hmm. and so they might be able to produce some types of, of, of text that then you build on top of, or you modify, mm -hmm. uh, or you reply to. And so, yeah, similarly, I think in the space of generating media, 
tools like Clip again become these active players, which which you can riff ideas off of. Yeah, it's a strange world, especially once again, like maybe what the more episodes we do, the more we can reference ourselves, right? So yeah. if you have, yeah, could you have voting voting members that of a DAO that are AI and they would be able to make a creative argument for like why they want to vote one way or another, right? Mm, yeah. That because they, they you could conceivably generate that sort of text. And I guess the latent space might be the goal, I guess, or like what they would want to have happen. And then the text that gets you that goal is like what really persuades other humans and gets most votes. Yeah, yeah, I could, I could definitely see that. Yes. Yeah, so, so it'll be interesting. It's kind of like Star Wars, right? Like where you have droids and droids are like, they're not, they're not quite human. They, they are what they are, but yeah. at the same time, they like are taking active part in, in negotiations uh, and uh, the piloting of plane, uh, not planes, but you know, uh, spaceships. X wings, right? That, that, that the Dow raised for them, which is yeah. what we, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, yes. I cannot wait until we have so many episodes that we're just talking about our own episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, the, the last thing that I do want to, to discuss is, is the, uh, you brought up this idea that you're able to maybe generate uh, objects. I think that, that's where you're going, like maybe in, this, in the metaverse. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. I didn't want to go okay. too far there, but <laughs> yes, effectively, because like one of the tough things about 3D modeling with our computing platforms right now, I find that people have a really hard time translating the flatness of the screen to a 3D model, like for whatever reason. Like I, I remember like, like people that are our parents' age, like that generation, they had problems like mapping the plane of the mouse to the plane of the, the cursor with the plane on the screen, right? <laughs> and so like there, there's a little bit of that coordination issue. And I find that that lack of mapping also exists for people working with 3D objects. So unless people are like industrial designers or like 3D animators, like they have adapted to the tools and their brains like work well in that way. But like most everybody else, really have a hard time with it like even if they see the 3d object and can like move it around it's not intuitive to like manipulate that object at all and so mm -hmm. the point is that 3d authoring tools are just really there's a big learning curve it's not really for people to use in the same ease that people can write with a keyboard yeah. and so i think one of the things that would result with tools like this is it puts creation of 3D environments or 3D authoring tools in the hands of regular people so that either they can type out a description of what they want and iterate on that description until they get a 3D object that they can then 3D print. Yeah. Uh, or I guess if AR and VR glasses take off, and there is a place, whether it's Roblox, Fortnite, or something else, where people can generate their own in-game items that, or, or clothing or avatar, then that would be a version of 
a self-expression. So you could conceivably in a game write an entire backstory, descriptive backstory about your character, and it would generate its skin for you. And that 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 can be pretty interesting. And so you the programmers themselves don't have to create like every individual item there. Like you just leave it up to the AI to generate those things, like within some bounds, obviously. You don't want people saying like, I, I wear a giant gun as, a, <laughs> yeah, I, I wear a how, howitzer as an arm or something like that. And that's very fashionable. And so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I, I could definitely see that if you had some space in your, in your game, like a house or something like that, you could decorate the your house in a very unique style that you wish to by yeah. generating one of a kind objects. I could also see potentially in that future, we talked about in the metaverse, there were, there are some people in like the Philippines or something who are like grinding yeah. to get like some kind of items and selling them. Yeah, it, it was in the, the DAO episode. It's called the Yield Guild. And basically it's a DAO where they are making investments in digital real estate in the form of NFTs and digital in-game items in the form of NFTs. And so people as a part of the DAO would grind uh, through these games to earn the NFTs as, as part of their membership and work earning for the the DAO. Yeah. So, so I was thinking that if you're able to generate these in-game objects, a custom in-game objects, there might be a market for very unique ones or very cool ones. And there could be people who just make a living off of using these like clip steered 3D generative models to generate interesting pieces of you know, furniture or interesting, cool looking weapons or, or whatever, yeah. and then generate one of a kind objects, which then become highly coveted in these in-game markets. And, and people might actually be able to make an entire living creating objects that don't even exist. Yeah. Do you know if there's a standardized set of weights for clips? Because it's only trained on the, the open source one is already pre-trained, right? And so I, I would imagine, well, so one of the things I was thinking was NFTs are quite limited in the amount of data that can they can store on chain. Uh, and for various good reasons, it's expensive to write chain, chain because in order to write on chain, you have to change the state of the blockchain. And that means all the nodes that are participating need to change state. And so obviously you want to make that more expensive to write the state because the state is recorded forever right and so that means that nfts don't actually usually store the image of the nft on chain some of them do like where if it's just text like the tunes project but then there are others that store the svg on chain because svgs is just representation of some xml which is also text but then kind of the full images like that like some of them like CryptoPunks is 24 by 24 they're pixelated because like that's that's pretty low in number that you could conceivably just write write it on chain but like you don't mm-hmm. get high quality images written on chain so that's why oftentimes they're referenced off chain and so i was thinking that if clips and 
its waves were standardized and long lived somewhere on the internet, whether on IPFS or somewhere else, then if like it's everybody's shared understanding that, okay, this is the, the neural network model that we're all creating NFTs from, then you could just write the latent yeah. vector in the NFT. And then when you look that up, like you just look like ask the public generative model to generate that for you. And so that's one way of mm. keeping those um, models available or the images available. But then I guess yeah. the question is like, who's going to run that model and how can you do it in a way that it's like a public good, right? And so right. I, th I think that can be solvable and maybe like the weights are written in a distributed way on IPFS or something like that. But like, if you could do that, then that's one way to kind of solve that problem. Because a lot of time people have pointed out the disconnect between the NFT itself, which is more like a deed with mm -hmm. the actual like asset of the image and stuff like that. So I, yeah. I thought that might be interesting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that they are standardized. I'm sure that people will would be able to, to do that if, if there's enough, enough interest. But yeah, there, there is something to be said about having a shared model from which everybody stakes a claim in like one area of the yeah. space, right? Mm -hmm. Like that could be a whole fun game in and of itself of like exploring the space of, of a giant generative model and then saying, you know, I, I, I own this one vector because it produces something cool. Yeah. Um, maybe not even just for, for image uh, generative models, but also, you know, for music as well, maybe mm -hmm. rather than buying a clip of uh, like an MP3 of music, you own, you own a vector, which then you can feed to this model and will generate something cool. Yeah. And especially if different things map to it, if you own the vector, that means you own all the different versions of that concept in any media, right? Yeah, I guess so. Yes. Uh, so and, like yeah. you not only own the music, but also the text that describes that music and the image that would describe the music all mapped to the same vector space, uh, vect uh, latent vector, right? Oh, now that's that. That's really interesting. Yeah. And the, yeah, if you had like a very, very multimodal model, we're talking about, we're so far I've been talking about multimodal model in which there are only two sort of modes, but uh, yeah, if you had a really cool multimodal model, which could take a vector and turn it into text, turn it into images, mm -hmm. you could like, basically you own not just any one piece of media, you own an idea, a concept, which then can produce other types of media. Yeah, I wonder if that would make licensing much easier because I was surprised to find that like music licensing is surprisingly complicated the whole debacle with taylor swift re-releasing her own music oh, yeah and, uh, and whatnot like, we're not going to go into that here you guys can look right. it up on the internet oh. if you want but basically like it's just different kind of licensing for different media and so perhaps if you can like map taylor swift to a latent vector space and just own that like own the latent vector for for that area then then that that would help solve things perhaps i mean yeah I'm just... i wonder i wonder if there's a, a potential i don't know how this would be implemented but what if you could 
own not just a given latent vector, but a latent vector and some radius around it. Yeah. So you kind of say, this is all my land because I like what's around here. Like, I don't know how this would be implemented. I don't know if people would want to do this, but it's kind of like you're, you're homesteading the, the yeah. space. And so on one hand, that sounds interesting. But on the other hand, like for certain like public concepts, because like we have established that say like mathematical concepts are not copyrightable or not patentable right Mm -hmm. and so like the latent space for that should there there should be certain things in the latent space that are by default in the public domain so that people aren't like i don't know like copywriting or owning the concept of a banana right <laughs> yeah right or the, so like one of the reasons why like we even have like the internet e-commerce is because encryption is considered a public good because like the people that were for encryption they're like they're like it's it's just math like you can't copyright you can't patent the stuff you can only keep it secret at best but like yeah. And so that's how this stuff is available to us. And so it would be a travesty if owning latent vectors ends up at first facilitating a explosion of creativity of people. But then once the homesteading has settled down and like the borders, like people own stuff, it starts to stagnate. And yeah. And, and that sort of stuff happens, right? Where people can't get anything done because like, oh, I want to make a movie about, I don't know, like killer whales and on a plane, killer whales on a plane, right? <laughs> and, yeah. But like I own killer whales as a concept, but not planes. And I have to like fight for that and <laughs> nothing, nothing will ever get made, right? So I might as well make snakes on a plane. Right, yeah, that ah, that's a really, really weird. I mean, like that's just... I think that's where we're here. And then that's like five steps ahead. But yeah, like, that, that's it, a, a while off. <laughs> was, but I think like, yeah, it would be very weird if we get to that world. Uh, I mean, okay. So I I think we have talked about Cl- Clip and Dolly. Definitely. We've given it a fair treatment and we've right. woven this into, you know, thinking tools, mm-hmm. DAOs, metaverse, <laughs> What else crypto, crypto, yeah. which is generally law, the, copyright. Yeah. yeah. So, 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 it, you know, it, it it sort of touches upon all of our favorite uh, stable concepts. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think that all in all, I'm very, very enthusiastic about any tool that allows people to to express their creativity, lowers the barriers to entry of the creation of new things in this, in this world. And so I think that I am, you know, just like, not even, I'm not even in the stars. I'm like in the next, like next galaxy over in terms of my excitement for this thing. Uh, Yeah. It's, it's a strange, strange world when I think about it, because like uh, it's almost a different kind of literacy, right? Imagine if you couldn't read or write in this modern world, right? You'd really be hemmed in by the things that you're able to do. And so in the same way, when anybody is a creative, like when anybody can draw, just by typing, right, can draw 
can produce media in our media saturated world, it's almost a different kind of literacy where you're now able to produce and that creates a really different kind of world for good and for bad. And obviously on this podcast, we're optimists. We haven't talked about like some of the weird side effects with like just anybody getting a hold of this from like state actors with propaganda to like you know yeah. the the misinformation go with going on with different groups and so that that is a weird weird future that we're headed towards yeah it's definitely definitely weird oh i think we should potentially have future episodes where we do revisit some of these concepts and yeah. think through a little bit of the the downsides or the risks but overall, on net, I think I'm optimistic about this. Yeah, no, generally I, I am the same way. I, I, I think like for all the bad the internet has gotten, like you and I are talking, like Technium would not exist without the internet, right? So, right. so I am optimistic as well. So you're in the other galaxy, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you, so. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool, all right. all right. So this is Will. And this is Shree. And we are here at the Technium talking about the edge of technology. If you like what you hear, like, shalaka, subscribe, uh, share, like, and subscribe. And smash that like button below and uh, let us know what you think. And join us next week for even more awesome self-referential episodes. (laughs) Where we just talk about the things that we've talked about already. All right. (laughs) Take care, guys.